Welcome to TradFi to DeFi, a community-driven podcast about crypto and decentralized finance. This is Tyler Sherwin, and I'm joined by John Tejan. Together, our goal is to teach, encourage, and inspire you to seize opportunities in this emerging world of DeFi. Let's get started. Yeah, there we go. There he is. Hello, Craig Botts. Yeah, yeah, Olivier. Yeah. It was great, great seeing you at a uh, permissionless, my friend. Me and Olivier, we got some, got some dinner, hung out, met Eric Voorhees. Uh, man, what a, what a time that was. That was that was really really awesome. So looking forward to the next one. Just continuing the momentum of getting more and more folk involved, both uh, you know online in the community. Of course, we do live in the uh, the wacky world of DeFi, but meeting up in as they, what they call meet space is a it's a game changer. Love it, love it. So, you know, on that note, when is the next, you know, big conference, I guess? Uh, you know, uh, I, I'm not aware of anyone that, uh, or any particular one coming up that uh, that we might all meet at, because obviously I was unable to make it, and I certainly would like to uh, plan for the future. If there's something that uh, we can have a meetup at, I'd certainly want to be there. Well, they are the central and consensus uh, 7 to 12 of June coming in. I'm trying to find ticket to attend, but so far uh, not very successful. Aha, uh-huh. aha. Uh-huh. Same yeah. challenge for me. I, the, the only thing available for consensus, and I'll, I'll be in the Netherlands at that time, so I won't be able to attend either. Uh, but a colleague of mine wanted to go, and I said, man, the only tickets that are publicly available are the $9,000 you know, VIP package tier. So. That's something I was thinking. It'd be really interesting to maybe start finding some of these conferences, you know, six to nine months in advance. Um, right. Not, not right. bragging at all. I was able to snag my permissionless tickets really early, and then I know some people at the gate were paying, you know, fifteen hundred plus for their tickets. So it'd be interesting to pick up a handful of those and syndicate those to some folk in the group or whatever that may look like. Right. But I know there are some websites that aggregate uh, conferences and these sorts of things going forward. You know, I don't even understand those price ranges, like $9,000 event for professional event in other field of expertise. You never get this kind of things. Like at that price tag, I'm just going to reach out to the VIP I want to meet directly and just invite them. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think people are putting those, uh, you know, putting up that kind of money for that. That's all That's all written off on their business anyway. So, I, I you know. They're not taking it out of their own pocket, so to speak. You know, uh, it's it's getting it's getting written off somewhere, probably. Yeah, I've seen, well, I've seen the price of those go up too. So those things have gotten more expensive over the years. I remember consensus to be what four thousand dollars for the VIP ticket. So those might be pre-Luna prices we're looking at. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's inflation for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could put it on my business, but just uh, out of principle. I won't. <laughs> no problem. So, um, does anybody have any? Uh, uh, and by the way, welcome, uh, Miguel. I see that you've uh, you've popped in. Glad you're able to uh, participate. I know you you listen a lot, but anytime you want to pop in, certainly uh, say hello. You just see the middle of work, so I'm gonna try to listen a lot. And if I have something to say, I'll try to uh, pitch in. All right. Well, thanks, Miguel. Um, yeah, I didn't have a whole lot planned for today, but I'm sure there's a lot of subjects people want to talk about. There's a lot of unresolved uh, 
well, not unresolved. I mean, obviously the the stable coin narrative has been out there for you know the past couple weeks, you know, and what is the future of stable coins? You know, how how are they going to be regulated? How are they going to be handled? Is you know, is there something that has to come along that's new and different? Uh, can we tweak the old protocols? Uh, you know, does anybody have any insight into that, or at least their point of view of 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 the at least in the near term, uh, what stable coins are going to look like? Kicked off a uh, well, of course I'm unabashedly biased on this, but I had a very interesting, I think, hypothesis regarding um, systemic risk in stablecoins. So, you know, first and foremost, you got to remember Luna is an algorithmic stablecoin, and that's about as R and D as you can get in terms of how you want to keep your peg. Um, the most simple way to keep a peg is to do what um, you know USDT is doing: have very opaque books and rattle off issuances whenever you see fit. Um, to help keep faith, just exactly what the U.S. Central Bank is doing. Um, USDC, a little more regulated. Um, I think, uh, John, you mentioned uh, USF, I think, is a frac stablecoin. They're, they're quite regulated and, and jurisdictionally compliant as well. Um, but when we get down to the, the portion of, of stablecoins, the segment of the, the stablecoin population that is just algorithmically governed, that is just pure R&D. There's so much systemic risk there because there's no central issue which really back things up. Um, Part of the beauty of crypto, right? I mean, there's no central issue for Bitcoin, but with that in mind, uh, perhaps more arguably sound principles there. But when you're pegging it to something like the dollar and you have all these esoteric mechanisms, I just don't see algorithmic stablecoins being, you know, to put the storage things, that is not the way. I don't see that being the, uh, the way forward. Perhaps in some various forms, I think they're incredibly interesting from a research perspective. Um, but once they become just contained within the crypto sphere, a systemic issue, systemically risky, uh, that's when the risk reward profile of man, if we can blow this thing up, maybe obtain a short position because now there's you know those kind of instruments that are available because it's so systemically important. I think it's just a, a matter of time before someone finds a really novel way to use this these wacky Web three Legos to you know detonate some TNT and blow up the entire thing. So I don't know what you guys think. Do you think maybe I'm I'm a bit sophomoric in that regard? Where hey, you know, I don't think algo stables are something that we can really run with or or. I don't know, maybe I'm missing something here in the overall scope of things, but I just think it, it, it's a bit too risky. And when the risk reward gets to that point, it's just good game eventually because someone far smarter than me is going to figure out a way to, to take that, that value and just arb it out. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And, you know, I don't know, you know, and like you pointed out, um, although UST fell on its sword and is for all tense and purposes non-existent anymore and it flushed everything down the commode with it um you did you did point out it was somewhat it's someone the contagion was somewhat isolated you know so you know maybe those isolating mechanisms are probably need to be looked at you know so if if there are 50 algo stable coins that they don't and if they're not exactly designed the same exact way on the same algorithm and run the same way, obviously, uh, if there's a way to isolate the effect of one on the other, I, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it, you know, I still believe that there's a place for it. Um, and I think 
it's you're right it is an r&d space but i think there is a point that they can get to and and designing you know around that uh, i don't know does do we have to have a bunch of usts before they figure it out hopefully not um or you know and and it kind of goes with the same mentality of the question this morning uh, i guess chris is you know so you know, if DAOs are the future, why are they not working, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, it's very early in their development of what they, how they function, how they organize, how they're incentivized, how they, you know. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm always going to hold out hope that, that they, the smart people keep getting smarter and, uh, and, and can build something that is a little more resistant. Uh, at least that's, that's my position. Well, if you go for the engineering uh, principle, it's always about empiric knowledge. So we might build things that might collapse, but we won't do the mistake twice. So we always improve in it over multiple iterations. So what we see in the industry right now is pretty much that, like there were no known knowledge about how to do crypto, right? And we are just learning it uh, for the past uh, five, six years. So very still early for, for that overall. Um, now we can expect things to become more stable over time. The only thing that will blame the engineer working in the sphere right now is the the lack of accountability and we're taking responsibility to tell people this is not production really, this is all research and development and this is high risk. And just to attract more budget or more capitals, then they bring it in their marketing as if it was like, oh, this is the, the deal, guys. This is the end version, which is not. I think that's that's such a great point, honestly. That's you hit the nail on the head, um, and Olivia. That's that's really it. Um, I, it seems so much that, at least in my experience, um, I, I mentioned previously, some folk were were tossing around the concept. Oh man, this is the first time a real blue chip crypto within the top ten collapsed. Um, definitely not the case. Historically, we've seen that happen before. Um, people don't know about Feathercoin or NXT or some of these very older coins that ultimately either had their day in the sun and have fallen by the wayside or have completely evaporated due to catastrophic events, um, including you know Genesis block reorganization from Genesis block reorganizations. Um, so with that in mind, yeah, that's exactly it. More transparency regarding the fact that this, this is experimental and without that being a really boilerplate straightforward thing kind of stamp it on our foreheads we are experimenting and trying to build the future of finance not hey we have this very sound very provable fundamental thing um that's where we end up with maybe a disproportionate amount of capital inflows and maybe a, an irresponsible amount of capital at risk naturally you know we all like to see line go up we all like to make money but I just look at bitcoin there was no vcs there was no seed round and it's slowly but surely honey badgers its way up through ebbs and flows so that's kind of the natural trajectory of the overall industry. Um, but to fool ourselves and say, hey, we have the holy grail. Now we have it. This time it's different. Uh, naturally, this time it's different. It's kind of the, the Fed speak, you know, oh, this, this bull market is different. Uh, the same thing can be perhaps in a compressed time frame interpolated over to crypto that you know, these are experimental protocols. We don't know what they're going to do. They may burst into flames. But ultimately, that's, that's in my opinion, 75% of the fun of the industry and in that we really are building a new financial future. Uh, just being forthright about that uh, is something I think 
we owe outsiders who are not in DeFi, or at least as close to the fire as we are, uh, don't get caught up in that hype, which is hard to do. There's no objective way to do it. Um, but keeping that that principle in mind, I think, can not only save outside capital from getting burned, but also kind of ultimately help the overall culture of the industry uh, and show that we are we are very much you know the adults in the room in the sense that you know yes we are building the future of finance. No, we are not deaf to the fact that we are indeed experimenting to do so, but that's just the natural ebb and flow of the overall growth. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting that you point that out, Olivier, is is because again, I'm I'm a, I'm a frac, frac stable coin guy and I, I spend a lot of time in their telegram and their founder spends a lot of time in their telegram talking to people and explaining it and reass not reassuring people, but saying this is the way it's designed, this is why, you know, it's likely not going to happen because we're designed different. But he every, every so often, somebody gets mad because they're losing money and he goes, you know, I have to remind you, this is experimental and this is risky stuff. This is, there's no guarantees here, you know, and, and I appreciate that because some people, you know, don't understand I mean the entire the entire crypto space from Bitcoin all the way to Dogecoin, it's all an experiment. It is all still research and development, really to a large extent. You know, nobody knows the future. Nobody knows the potential hacks and uh nefarious actors that could uh interrupt the, the system or what might happen. And so having that and looking at the entire space that way and keeping that in mind uh i think is something i've had to remind myself of because you know the losses i've taken or they're on paper but you know they're the portfolio's down and it's not a good feeling you know and i have to catch myself and i'm going i was treating this like it was another just a segment of my stock portfolio you know, and that's fine if I put it in the ultra risky category, but I really wasn't. I was I was I was probably leaning on it too heavily for returns that eventually, uh, you know, uh, dried up because of this most recent uh, situation. So it was a good reminder to me that this is all experimental still and it's all developing and it's very early and not to lean too heavily on it uh, for investment returns for future income, so on and so forth. I think it's uh, really important to remind people of the lemmings effect. Uh, it's a social context where uh, none of us individually can know everything. So we leverage expertise of other people we trust. And that is uh, making a dynamic where people follow other people blindly without asking questions just because they just trust someone else. Uh, and that effect is um, amplified when you have like two people and more following one person. The third person will say, oh, they probably already vet that person, so they must trust that person and I should trust them as well. And now when you have like a thousand or a million people following that person, everybody believes that that person is trustable. And that's the lemmings effect. But uh, the reality is most people don't vet the person or don't have the expertise or the knowledge to really vet properly that person. And nobody else will do it in the, down the chain. So people are just following a blind leader, basically. And that is dangerous. Like This is what we saw with uh, Terra Luna. Uh, I've seen a lot of hype. I see a lot of lemmings effect over there. 
me when I analyze the project, I was like, okay, this is not even decentralized. For, so for me, I don't touch any project that are not decentralized. That's one of my rules. And after that, I was like, okay, this is clearly undercollateralized, but they might have some fundamentals that I'm not aware of, but still by principle, I'm not touching it. But I've seen so many people hyping and going into it. But at the end of the day, as we can see, that was just the limiting effect. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting because when you're explaining that, you know, especially uh, say you follow somebody on Twitter and they're like, oh, this new protocol. And then, you know, because of the social media and the, the, which is really exacerbates and amplifies the lemming effect, because pretty soon all, all the tweets you see are about this this protocol that you just heard of and everybody's rushing to get in on it, you know, and that's more on a retail level. But you know, with UST, you know, how many times people are like, but there were really important protocols and really uh, sophisticated investors that were getting involved in this. And it's like, but that's a lemming effect un unto itself. And it happens in business all the time. And, and businesses won't admit they didn't do their research, but it's like, well, so-and-so's in on this deal. And I see so-and-so's in on this deal. Well, let's go ahead and throw a couple million at that deal, you know, because uh, those guys are in on it. You know, it's typical kind of like VC behavior sometimes. And it's like, so it's not just isolated to the to, to the retail guy not doing his homework and, and following the lemon, lemmings into the sea. You know, it's uh, it's people with deep pockets that this happens to as well. And they're not they're not immune from that effect, which I think it's great that you point that out because it's exactly what happens. Awesome. I guess Miguel's popping in and off on his uh, microphone there. But uh, so Ray, can you give us? Uh, you might as well give you give you a few minutes to give us an update on uh, where the, the eco credit situation is. How's development going on? Do you have any timelines you want to share with us uh, as far as releasing anything? Oh no, you're playing into my uh, my passion and my my expertise and my my work here, all in that uh, perfect diagram. I'm right in the middle of that that trifecta Venn, uh, Venn diagram. There, I would be more than happy to. So, um, low carbon is a protocol recently that was backed by Andreessen Horowitz. They just closed the deal uh, for um, 70 million. We're we don't have the public details, but we're we're hypothesizing internally they have around 100 million valuation. And we're so happy for them. It is it is fantastic. Um, not only because uh, we are working on sustainability, we're working on creating more volume for carbon credits, which ultimately capitalizes sustainability focused projects all around the world. Uh, you know, it's a winner if, if our cooperators, as I call them, cooperators, because we're in cooperation, we're cooperating and we're competing. If they win, we win because we all win as a humanity. That's, that's what it's about. But also at the same time, what's fantastic is what we found is that while we do onboard carbon credits and tokenize them, we're not the first to do so. Um, we found that Toucan, you know, they're the ones leading the way. And having dug into the documentation and actually having met the founders of the protocol at Permissionless and had a, a great conversation with them, um, we were very enlightened because what we've noticed is that uh, every entity thus far is working on the demand side of the equation as it pertains to carbon offsets. Uh, the voluntary carbon offset market is super nascent. Uh, for context, the cap and trade, which is the government regulated market, that's about $277 billion a year in volume. Um, looking at the voluntary market, it's about a billion. So we're talking, you know, 
2,700% uh, larger in terms of cap and trade compared to what we have in the voluntary market. Um, and people are just waking up to the fact that, oh man, taking this out of the traditional brokerage pr uh, process, plugging it into crypto, uh, it's amazing. I mean, Toucan has had $2 million of volume in 2021. That's twice the amount of the traditional voluntary market. So it just goes to show this really is the future for this particular segment of the, the sustainability economy. Um, and like I said, what uh, Flow Carbon was able to do, raise 70 million, they took what Toucan is doing and simplified it. They simplified the language. They simplified the user interface. They didn't treat it so much as Web3 money Legos, which it is. Uh, they treated it as a tokenized version of something that is very accessible for both Web2 and Web3 people. Web2 specifically, why? Because most of the individuals who own voluntary carbon credits, they're based in Web2. And the reason I say all this is because it's fascinating. When meeting with them, we ask, okay, so what do you do? Well, we tokenize carbon credits. Fantastic. We'd love to hear it. We love it. What do you do with them? But what do you mean, what do you do with them? We tokenize them for people who own these credits. So I say that to say, no one's working on the demand side of the equation. No one is actually working on the, the gamification, the social proof, the financialization of these assets. And what we found in EcoCredit is that what we've hard pivoted to starting three months ago, um, we're now 15 people strong as a company, which is just amazing. It's just it's, it's the most successful venture I've ever been, you know, been blessed to be a part of, uh, which is a fantastic experience. We've hard pivoted towards the demand side of the equation, and that's exactly what we're doing. Our first uh, product utilizing our own proprietary tokenized carbon credits and likely going to pull from additional protocols, assuming that uh, the demand we're tracking for is going to actualize upon launch starting in late June, early July, uh, is Ecolands. It is a sustainability metaverse, and it introduces all three of those components I mentioned. It introduces financialization, which comes in the form of Rub incentive I met.